0: Welcome to the show and thank you for listening. Got a big guest today. He's a legend, really. Uh, singer-songwriter Don McLean. Uh, he truly is a legend. He's all over pop culture with his music and influence. And I just learned today that the song Killing Me Softly by Roberta Flack was actually written about him. And his song American Pie is just it's a classic that's still popular and played today, of course. And I heard that the song brings in $400,000 a year for him and he even got paid when they made the movie American Pie because he had trademarked the name. Very smart business decisions by this guy. Um, Of course, most people know the lyric to the song The Day the Music Died was written about the plane crash that killed Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. Um, However, the rest of the lyrics are a little bit ambiguous about that song, and that's on purpose, although some people think the gesture may be Bob Dylan. And what about the king with the thorny crown? Well, Don will tell me who that is in this interview. He also tells me about Buddy Holly's brother and his reaction to the song American Pie. And he'll talk about his success and his struggle in the early days. And he goes down a few rabbit holes, too. But uh, I enjoyed all of it. He's an interesting guy, for sure. Very entertaining. I hope you guys enjoy it, too. Welcome, Don McLean, to the Chuck Shoot podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. I'm breathing. I don't have any asthma. I, uh, I'm not on any pills. Okay. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> Sounds
0: like a great start. <laughs> so speaking of the start, so in the you're starting the music business. I found your story really interesting. You started out as an opener for James Gang and Blood Sweat and Tears and all these bands. But well,
1: that was that was well after I started out. I started out in 1964, which was a good five years before that. And I was a, you know, usually on a three-act bill at like the Bitter end mm-hmm. in New York City, because I lived uh, in Neurichelle, which wasn't far from the city. But, and I also went to college at the same time. Right. But, uh, when I signed with William Morris in 1969, and I was working on my first album, Tapestry, that's when I got a chance to, I, 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 I had an agent named David. Uh, da, 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 da. i can't think of his name but he ended up being the manager of aerosmith oh um yeah they, they write about how they hate this guy because i guess <laughs> he took things from him and stuff. okay he was a tremendous agent and he had a thing called beetle mania which was a uh a, a beetle kind of virtual beetle thing you know even back then in 1969 or so, no that was later on in the, in the 70s made a lot of money from that but he booked me everywhere and I, I was on the road with you know three dog night and the james gang and 10 wheel drive and all sorts of people
0: yeah but so you had this you had an interesting mindset as an opener you said that you wanted to steal the show and that oh, you yeah. wanted to get better reviews. That's almost like a sports mindset. Like you want to beat the headliner. So how did you do that? Was that just like practicing a lot and singing your heart well, out? I, think
1: I was on a swimming team for about five years mm-hmm. at a, a country club in New York called Oriana beach club. And this is about 1957 until about 1961 or two. And we were trained by the uh, coach of West point. So I guess a certain desire to win um, <laughs> a sports thing entered my head, you know, which hadn't been there before because it was all summer long, you know, really hard work and mm-hmm. um, and and lots of meets and, you know, competition all summer. Mm-hmm. God, it was the best thing that ever happened to me when I look back on it. And that was murder getting through those, re- those uh, workouts, but I was in the best shape ever. I felt better than ever. And it set me up to go forward. And I think when I was on stage, you know, I said, hey, you know, this is my moment and I'm going to make the most out of it.
0: Yeah, I like that. So in, the, in those years, like before your your big success, I mean, you say the climbing up that that was the best time of your life because and you didn't care about being rich or famous or any of that stuff. You just wanted oh, yeah. to be a musician and write songs.
1: I love that what was happening was so exciting because what I did was when I was 15 and my father passed away, uh, my mother and I were living in this house where, where where I'd been born. And I was really going my own way completely. I was outside of any uh, of her sphere of influence. And I was finding my way into the world of, of folk music um, as it was back in those days, 1960, around there. Um, And also, I was way into rock and roll, uh, you know, Buddy Holly and those kind of stuff. But that was all very folk, folkish. You know, you could three mm-hmm. chords, you know, you could play all this stuff. It was all on the same chart. And I I had a group that I like called the Weavers, and they were blacklisted in the 1940s, in the 1950s. They were the greatest uh, folk group ever. They invented the genre they did everything first, and they did everything better than any other group ever. And they had a tremendous sense of artistry, and yet their 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 um, catalog of hits were things like "Wim Away," "The Lion Sleeps Tonight," "The Rock Island Line," "Irene," "Goodnight," um, "The Midnight Special," "Guantanamera." So many songs that became popular it when the folk thing really began again in the late 1950s it all came from them so i was and they were blacklisted so i was fascinated with their political problems and i remember once um sending away to washington for all these um transcripts from the house on un-american activities committee and my mother you know was you know, i was like 16 said Donnie, what is this? You know, it came from the government, you know, and she was <laughs> immediately terrified. There's a box like that. Oh right? my gosh, from you know, House on Un American Activities, right? And I said, Oh, they're just transcripts. I want to read, you know, wow. <laughs> I want to find out. And what kind
0: of, yeah. And didn't you reach out? I thought this is crazy. You reached out to Fred Hellerman, the guitarist that's what from the Weird. And that's not so we'll like an be, easy thing see, to see, do back then. I knew then. all
1: this stuff. I knew all this stuff about them before I ever did that. Yeah. Right? I was getting into this fascinating story of this amazing group. So I, one day I said, I'm going to call him up. i, I just came in my head. I said, I'm just going to do it. You know, he lives in Manhattan and I'm going to call him. So I did. He was, he became a lifelong friend of mine. And then I, I did, I decided I was going to talk to Eric Darling and he was the replacement in the group. And he said one day, well, why don't you come into New York? And we can, I was like 16, we can play guitars now, can you imagine that? I mean, I'm now moving from making a phone call. Yeah. To now being in the living room of a guy who's been on all these records that I've loved, and I'm seeing how he does everything, and I'm asking him a million questions, and so one step at a time. And the next thing it was a long story. I can't get into that, but I made a tape in my empty classroom at in high school. I asked the school if I could use that the room in the school in those days they didn't worry about lawyers yeah sure come on in the custodian i'll let you in so i brought my tape recorder and um put my best stuff on there i had about 10 songs on there they're all folk type things that i was singing a lot of guitar playing banjo and stuff and uh it found its way um to Harold Leventhal, which by a long circuitous route, which I won't bother to tell you how crazy that was, but um I got a call one day in nineteen sixty four that he wanted to manage me. They thought I was good enough to actually have a manager, yeah so that's I've great come, I come down and meet Harold Leventhal, and there in the in the in the offices uh, Alan Arkin,
0: yeah the actor and
1: Alan Arkin. And Alan Arkin had been in the Terriers, you know, in the 1950s. He was a folk singer. He also did a children's series called the Babysitters uh, Records. And he was just starting his career. So he took me to lunch. And we sat around and talked about this and that. And it was almost like this incredible, I had penetrated this membrane, all right? Mm-hmm. And now I was inside, you know, like a pregnancy of some sort happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like you you, know. you broke through. So tell me about, because you said that you had enormous fear. You used to have fear of oh, leaving get... home and fear of going on a plane, stage oh, yeah. fright. And so how oh, did you yeah. push through that?
1: I just said, fuck it, I'm going to do it. You know, <laughs> God damn it, do it. You, you know, I, I did so disgusted with myself. I said, get on the, house, get on the plane, go to the, ch-, you know, and I was alone all the time. And I was, you know, out there, but,
0: so, like self talk, like you're talking yourself, and, and
1: yeah, I would just kick myself in the ass yeah. and saying, you know, don't ever lay down, don't ever quit, just do it, you know. Yeah. And um, the thing about it was that I had a mission, though, that I could see, that I could see it, and it was developing very, very slowly. And that was more interesting than working at some bank.
0: Well, right. But you did get a degree in finance. So explain that one to me because I know you said that helped you reading contracts, but what prompted the finance degree as opposed to like an arts degree or theater or music or even English?
1: I didn't want any of that. And I I couldn't take a liberal arts degree because I couldn't learn French or Spanish. (laughs) I only am interested in the English language. Okay. I didn't want to clutter my brain up with a lot of other languages. I love Latin. I took Latin. I learned a lot about English from Latin, but English is all I care about. And so I thought, well, I'll do the business thing. It can't hurt. You know, it's probably going to be pretty easy, and I'll be able to get a degree and spend some of this time because nothing was happening, you know, in any way that would be worth devoting several years of my life to mm-hmm. you know it wasn't like i was becoming a big star or anything i was home a lot and working very infrequently and i knew kids like that you know who didn't do much lived in their house in fact there are people in nourishale right now i grew up with whose parents left them their big house and a big trust fund and they're still inside there and they're my age mm-hmm. they never left to go any place
0: yeah. So, I mean, I think that, and also you probably learn more from people that you worked with than in school. Like I, I know we talk about Fred Hellerman, but another person, Pete Seeger was your friend and mentor. And he taught you a lot of great stuff. One of the things which I thought was interesting is um, everything matters, even the big or small, whether you're yeah, doing the right. Tonight Show or the Chuck Shoot podcast, that's you right. never know where something could lead.
1: You always keep developing yourself. You always want to have new ideas. You always want to be rethinking things that you thought were one way, because maybe they're not. You know, you always want to keep an open and a flexible mind toward everything. Um, I don't think, I, I think that Pete Seeger, who was a communist, really, and I'm saying this now, I don't think he would ever say this because he wouldn't want to alienate his following and the people who are politically correct today would be naturally his, um, you know, stepchildren. But I don't think he would like political correctness I, he, because he liked to talk to anybody about anything. Yeah. And and he would form an argument. And if he couldn't come up with an argument, then he'd give you points I say, well, you know, maybe you're right about that, you hmm. know. So he likes having but, an open mind. Yeah, when you have to. And this is a problem now We're We're in a a dark age now where political correctness has morphed over into um, um, assassination by uh, accusation. In other words, for that assassination by accusation to exist, you have to have a closed mind. Because otherwise you'd be saying, well, where's the evidence? Or what are you talking about? or mm-hmm. do you have anybody that saw this or whatever but that's not the way it is someone especially says something and all of a sudden you're you're tagged someone mm-hmm. said something bad about you and that is the sign of a medieval dark age witches burned at the stake you know the 1950s witch hunt this is what they called it when they you know took down the names of anybody who Cared about reaching out to other countries. I mean, that was the sin huh. that the Weavers, you know, made. They they wrote songs from foreign lands. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. So it's a, it, you know, it, but everything's evolving. You know. So anyway, do you think this uh, stuff is
0: cyclical though? Like this is kind of just the sign of the times, and that you know we're kind of in a political time, kind of like the '60s, and maybe it'll it'll change.
1: I don't think you should make the mistake of looking back at any decade and trying to connect it to what's going on now. And I'll tell you why we do that because, or at least one reason why I think it's not hard for folks to see American pie with the uh, home free, the acapella group. They've done this song again. Yeah. It's a full song and it's number one in, on the country video charts for five weeks in a row right now. The, the home free version. Yeah. Congratulations on
0: that. Version. That's really great. Yeah
1: yeah but but you don't really think much about it because American Pie is always with us, as all my songs are always with us, all the Beatles songs are always with us, Dylan's best songs, all these songs from the fifties, everything Sinatra, it's always always with us. but think about and that's because of the way entertainment is and the way um we are constantly entertained all the time now. We're almost in a terminal entertainment syndrome of some sort it'd be entertaining ourselves to death um but if you look back and you took a song like say from 1900 let's say from 1910 all right 1910 right around the time the titanic sunk in 1912 1910 and you now have a song that's the number one on the country chart since 1960
0: right 50
1: years later yeah but if you think about those 50 years it's very different that becomes completely improbable and totally impossible. And the only reason this 50 years makes it possible is that we have mentally um become accustomed to falsely thinking that we can reach back and compare things to other things. They're looking back now, you know, when they're saying about the depression, you know, we would have a depression in our country because of all this money that they're printing, you know, they've printed. Um, four or five times the national debt in the last year to try by a little time to get out ahead of this virus to make a vaccine. Now that's an that's an immense thing. That's but and they talk about some sort of a you know a blowback eventually, runaway inflation, uh, a big bust, and then a terrible depression. But it's nothing like. Uh, we were a rural in the in the nineteen thirties. We were only about fifty, forty million people in the nineteen thirties. Our our beautiful environment was pristine. Every animal on the planet was thriving. Uh, you know, we weren't using chemicals on our fertilizers and destroying the ocean with nitrogen. Uh, we were just using you know cow shit or whatever they used. <laughs> You know, to yeah. in the, it's, to make things grow in the farms and so on. A much, 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 much different situation. We're in a much worse situation now because we've plundered the earth with 60% of the um, animals are missing, according to the Wall Street Journal, and they don't believe in any of that stuff. So when they say it's true, you know it is.
0: Mm-hmm. It's crazy times, for sure.
1: Well, it, it's not good, and... Um, but it's nothing like anything that's happened before. That's the thing I'm just saying.
0: No, that's a, no, that's a good point. Yeah, it's definitely we can look at some similarities, but it's definitely very, very, very different. And we're evolving in good ways, but also, like you said, some bad ways as well.
1: Well, I don't know what the good ways are, other than the fact that we have hair dryers and <laughs> direct TV, you know, and the internet. I think, and that we have everything we want. We seem to, and lots of things in the grocery store. We're not starving. Yeah we're, we're very well taken care of in this country, but I don't, I think we're, geez, I hate to say this. I I don't know if this is good for your show, but you can edit it out. (laughs) Um, You know, we're dead last um, in school. Our colleges have gone way down. They were not, what they were in the 1950s. Um, In athletics, we we do all right, but you know, I mean, we had the greatest athletes, and now we got to send a dream team of professionals over in the in in in, in the Olympics to beat people. What's that all about? <laughs> you know, what's that all about? Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, for your role as a musician, I mean, you're supposed to be bringing joy and and happiness to the world, right? So yes, that's that's right. You you made I'm a lot of great you, music.
1: Now I'm telling you all this miserable stuff. <laughs>
0: No, but So let's go back. So your Tapestry album, that was a really interesting story, too, because you feel like you almost died making that record. You got so frustrated that tell me, explain this to me. You took the tapes from that record and you threw them out the window into the snow. So how did you figuratively and literally pick up the pieces from that?
1: Well, every uh, there were 30 or more record companies. The number has grown to like 70, but that's not really true. There weren't that many record companies. There were but every one of them turned me down. I don't care if yeah. it's Vanguard Records or Columbia Records, they said no. Mostly because I wouldn't part with my publishing to my songs. But every month I'd have a man a manager who would drive me crazy and um, eventually I got rid of him. But um, <laughs> he would say to me, Well, oh, you've got a record deal. I'd be oh, I'd be so happy, you know, and everything else. We've got the money to pay off the money you owe. I owe twenty thousand bucks. 'cause he'd gone in and decided it was a good idea to make the record just to heck with it. Just make the record. Well actually, in a way he was right because, you know, otherwise I would have been constrained. So I made the record I would have made that way. And everything was going. And then oh I'm sorry, they they decided they don't want to do it. Oh, down again. Oh. So what am I going to do? So over and over, up, down, up, down, up, down. This went on for I got. I was getting, like, uh, homicidal, not suicidal. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I would never kill myself, but I might have killed somebody else because <laughs> I was really mad. Okay. And finally I tossed those right out the window. I said, you know, screw this, you know, but I just couldn't give up. And anyway, so I was singing – Uh, I'd gotten to know Pete Seeger by now. It was 1969. Uh And he was, he was so nice to me and, um, supportive. And he sensed right away that I had something. And, um, of course, that validation helped me, you know, do more things because he believed in me. Uh You know, you're, you know, you're a great songwriter and a great singer. He said, and, um, and he was very, he said many other things, but, um, so there was a little party at his house and, uh, about 1969 and it's in a movie called, uh, Pete Seeger, a song and a stone. Okay. And it was done by a guy named Bob Elfstrom, who was a filmmaker from Sweden who was in, uh, who lived in Connecticut And he heard me sing and he said, Don, I want to get some money and make a movie about you. And I was not even known at the time. I hadn't put tapestry out yet. I was working on it and throwing it out the window at that time. (laughs) So uh, he went and got money, I think like 25 or 30,000 from Swedish television. And he made a movie about me and he followed me around for like two years. So from the very beginning, you can see pictures of me going back on the internet videos where my sleeves are rolled up and I'm sweating and I'm singing orphans of wealth or Vincent or whatever with my little 21 guitar, a lot of tape around the mic and everything very young. That's that's from that, that's from that movie. So he brought the movie to media arts records that had also a film division and media arts records was run by a man named Alan Livingston. Who's a legend. In the record business. He made Capital Records into the great record company that it is today. And he immediately signed me. And he didn't take my publishing. And mm. he paid off my debt. And he put out tapestry on the Meteors record label. And we were friends forever. Nice. And so that by the last ditch effort, but then we were going along, and they were doing such great work with me. They put out a beautiful album, and all of a sudden, I was headlining nightclubs and uh, getting a lot of airplay on underground radio. You remember, underground radio was FM radio, sure. So I was an FM star uh, behind tapestry. They had discovered me. That was it. I mean, they play the whole album and uh, just go and get you know. That was Don McLean. <laughs> 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 really cool wasn't that nice? that's, that's great great, great record wow. you know that was their thing so the next thing that happens is i get word because i'm working on the american pie album now yeah they get word. well media arts is going out of business right so you don't have a record company uh again down again after all that well, I said to myself, at least I put the darn thing out. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I did that much.
0: So, yeah, with the American Pie album, I don't know, I apologize if someone else has already asked you this, but I could not find this information anywhere. With the album cover, that thumb, I, I love that's such an iconic image. Who came up with that idea?
1: George Whiteman, who was a fashion photographer. And again, that was because of Alan Livingston. That was because of the kind of people that were surrounding me at, at Media Arts Records. He came up with that. Okay. See, when I went off and ended up at United Artists, United Artists was a shithole record company.
0: <laughs> really?
1: All they, yeah, all they did was put out soundtrack albums that had ugly covers. Okay. And I, it's the last place on earth I ever wanted to be. But they had raised a lot of money, and they were going to transform themselves and did into a viable record label, and all those Kenny Rogers hits were on uh, United Artists. Oh. So it became a big, important record company. But they started with me, and my success with American Pie funded the change oh. of direction for that record label. But I hated it at the time, and they were awfully deal difficult to deal with because they didn't know anything. <laughs> Their um, slogan for American Pie was, American Pie, love it or eat it. Oh,
0: that's an interesting one. <laughs> so wait, so everybody, it seems like everybody has a story about the, you know, that I've, I've watched a lot of interviews with you and people tell you their stories like, oh, the first time I heard American Pie. Yeah. Is there a story that you have from a fan that you remember that somebody told you the first time they heard it or what it means to them that you were, no, that stands out? I,
1: I No, <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of stories and they've all been beautiful. Uh, the, the best story about that was from travis holly buddy holly's brother okay now i never i dedicated the album to buddy holly and the first part of the song i've always been out front by saying that's about the the plane crash sure and but i you know it doesn't mention anybody's name in that Mm -hmm. in that uh song because i didn't want to everybody could be many different people you know, the king, I could say Elvis if I wanted to,
0: uh-huh. but
1: I said the king had a thorn, crown of thorns. Well, the only king that had a crown of thorns was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a crucified wearing a crown of thorns. So it's meant to be ambiguous so that, you know, you can think of many different kingly people in this in this crazy dream story. Right. impressionistic, yes. But I always was honest about the front part. Anyway, I met Travis Holly, who looked a lot like Buddy Holly, tall and thin and said glasses. And he looked at me and he was kind of nervous. You know, he said, Don, he said, I want you to know when I heard you did American Pie, I was driving in my truck. It was in Lubbock. I pulled over, I got out of the car, and I jumped for joy. That's because cool. He knew his brother had been memorialized. Yeah. And that's exactly the, the effect the song had. So to this day, February 3rd is called The Day the Music Died, you know, because it it, it it led to the release of the book, the Buddy Holly story. The Buddy Holly story led to the movie and the movie, of course, the Broadway musical and then the ascent of Buddy into this. But American Pie caused that to happen.
0: That's really cool. See, that's what I'm talking about. Pot your positive influence on the world. That's amazing.
1: Well, I didn't know what I was doing, but I guess I did something.
0: <laughs> you did something. So, and then once you had that success with American Pie, you could buy a horse or sorry, you could buy a house and you could ride horses. i buy a horse. Yeah. And then, but it's interesting. You said you kind of had an ambivalence towards success. Like you would get hot and then you would hate it and you want to go back and yeah. just ride horses. So explain that more.
1: Yeah. Well, I wanted to have, I wanted to be able to wake up in the morning and do whatever the hell I wanted to do. I like that. I didn't want people telling me what to do.
0: Right. That's why you chose music in the first place.
1: Exactly. And that was the best part of it. When I was planning my own life and I was a nobody, I was having a blast because I was meeting these great artists and somebody would tell me, Oh, you're so talented. I mean, I met so many people, Uh they just start right away because they all started doing "And I Love You So." So you know, Como knew who I was. Mathis knew who I was. Everybody in the business knew who Don McLean was. Right. I didn't know them, but I liked their singing. I love that kind of music, and I like rock and roll. And everybody in rock and roll knew who I was after American Pie because of the thing with Ella, you know, with um, with Buddy and and Richie Valens and Big Bopper. So, but I was transmitting this from afar. You know, I wasn't out there glad-handing and being on variety shows. and um, I didn't want it. You know, I, I don't want to do what I wanted to do. It made uh-huh. me nervous. It was enough for me to catch the plane and do the show and get back home again and then deal with my life. You didn't sure. want to deal with the lawyers
0: and the business people and the record people telling you what to do. You wanted to just make your music the way you wanted to make it.
1: When you get to be too big... The pressure is on to stay big, and get bigger. Right. This is why the Beatles stopped touring. You know, they they couldn't take it anymore. You know, what what we've we done? We've done everywhere we play. Nobody can hear us, and the stadiums are full. And where where do we go from here? Except mm-hmm. down. Yeah. So they stopped. Um, it's. I, I'm not. Putting myself, you know, in that. But I did have a very hot year in 1971 and in 1972 where, uh, you know, people screamed and passed out and all this stuff when I'd walk in a room. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, So it was crazy. uh, a bit Right on the edge of being a little hysteria happening. And I said to myself, you know, um, I don't think I like this. You know, I'd rather be quiet and think and Hmm. do some things and have some fun. And meanwhile, traveling was a blast. You know, I got to go all over the world, did several world tours right after that that were hugely successful. And I maintained my success around the world right up until today. Um, I can book a world tour very quickly anytime I want. Yeah. So let's talk about today. You
0: got, you said 2020 was a great year for you because you did all these things. You got a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and you have a new album. Uh, It's a covers record, still playing Favorites. Uh, You have a movie coming out, a children's book, a play, and then another record of all originals.
1: That's all true.
0: So people should check all that stuff out?
1: Well, I've been, I've always been very busy. (laughs) Yeah, It
0: sounds like it.
1: But I never, I was touring for 50 years. Yeah. So I was busy when I was touring. I was busy taking care of my properties. I have a number of homes and I like to decorate them and collect antiques and and work on them. And I was doing interviews and I was doing television appearances. And I was um, just very busy with all, with everything that goes along with touring coupled with raising two children and having these properties that I was always, you know, involved with as well as having horses and, you know, all kinds of stuff and being right on top of all this. So Mm -hmm. that everything runs smoothly. Because I like to be in control.
0: Yeah. So are, yeah. are you mentoring anyone the way that Pete Seeger mentored you?
1: Well, I think no. But I think that what I've done with a YouTube channel is to get and put on there some um, uh, videos of how I play guitar and sing with the guitar. So that everybody who might be interested in anything from me can look and see how the how I use the banjo how how the folk banjo was used very basic starting point but mm-hmm. get a whole feel for a different way of using the banjo and the guitar a lot of things about the guitar and the way I sing with it and and a lot of things about singing getting the voice out of the body getting the sound out of the guitar um this is all things that most singers that I see who play guitar do not know how to do mm. because you can't understand what they're saying. And the guitar playing is in the way almost rather than, you know, it being a synergistic thing, which is out.
0: Gotcha. So, well, so it's educational. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this interview. I do like to end each episode with a charity. I know there's a, there's a couple that you work with. Is there one you want to highlight here at the end?
1: Well, I think that um, Roger Daltrey's teen cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, charity is the best one because I was lucky enough to raise two children without any health problems. And I have grandchildren with no health problems and they are both terrific people. My kids, they don't, you know, gamble and they don't have issues and all this stuff that a lot of, unfortunately young people have. Um, So I think, you know, getting, and I have known families where one of their kids has got to come down with this and, you mm. know, I mean, it just destroys everything. It's horrible. And, um, really the thing we have to think about is the fact that there's, we live in a world of chemicals mm-hmm. and the chemicals are what is causing this. You know, I saw a doctor once on television, say back in the fifties, he said, you know, I'd go to the hospital and I said, let's go visit the, the cancer patient. You know, he was in the hospital on the third floor and they go up and see how he was doing. See, now the ward after ward of people with cancer. Well, what's changed? Mm. The only thing that's changed is that we live in a world of chemicals. The yeah. environment is dirty, it's completely filthy. And we're reacting to it yeah. in many different ways, many different ways.
0: Well, yeah, and a lot of the stuffs in our food. So I think if you can eat healthy and and try to eat clean, well, you have that can
1: na- help. Na- nanotechnology in your food. They have they have um, looked some time at uh, what's. I wrote a song called "Building My Body," and I do it. You can see me do it on YouTube. It's on the Primetime album. I said, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a what am I doing at the table? I'm reading every label.
0: You know, yeah, there you go. Read every
1: label. Read the stuff that's yeah. in this. Yeah,
0: no, it's there's a stuff. If you can't pronounce it, it's probably not good for you.
1: Well, I brought this candy, you know. I thought it was going to be good, you know, like old fashioned whorehound. You know what that is? Uh huh. And I read it's genetically altered material used. <laughs> in the garbage. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good for you. Maybe that's the secret to your uh, longevity. Here is uh, trying to eat better.
1: Um, keep. I, you know what? I'll tell you. Keep your expectations very low. And you'll won't ever be disappointed. Okay. And keep and be stoic. Whatever comes your way, suck it up and soldier on.
0: All right. Well, it's
1: always a new day tomorrow, and there'll be a good day tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks for the advice. It was fun going down these rabbit holes with you, and uh, you're a living <laughs> legend. So thank you for doing thank my you. show. I appreciate nice it.
1: Nice talking to you, and good luck to you. Okay.
0: Thanks, Don. Bye bye. Bye bye. I love that story about Buddy Holly's brother. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, the interview just you know took a few dark turns, but I think the important thing to remember is just how much joy Don has brought to the world with his music, and uh, I really like his story about his struggle and his climb to the top and how he didn't give up. I think that's really inspiring, so you know, imagine if he had given up and we never had an American pie. It's kind of crazy to think about, so check out Don's website to learn more. You can check out my website as well, or you can follow both of us on social media to keep up. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, I appreciate your support. I hope you have a great day. And remember, shoot for the moon.